0: Friends, allies, and Americans, welcome to the Defense of Democracy podcast, where we tell the stories of folks who defend your children's rights by advocating for inclusive public school systems and who fight for diversity across our nation. I'm your host, Karen Swoboda. Let's get into it. And my guest today is Dante. Dante is a student and also has just recently accepted the position of co-chair of our DEI committee at Defense of Democracy. So, Dante, welcome to the call. How are you today? I'm
1: good. Thank you. I'm very glad to be here. Very good.
0: And I'm so happy that you accepted my invitation to join us. Um, You know, Dante, you have uh, accepted the role of co-chair of our Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee and like have really kind of just jumped into it full throttle. You know, you're really embracing this as, as a, a volunteer project that's obviously very important to your heart. Um, give me a little bit about your background. Where are you coming from and why were you interested in sharing this committee?
1: Yeah, so I, you know, when I, from a young age, I always you know, saw issues in my community and I was just like, there has to be a way to solve it and for me i guess the narrative was always you know just just don't worry about it that's just the way it is that's just how it has to be and for me i was just like no but it doesn't have to be like that so the first the first ever uh, first ever role i got myself involved in was at the LA LGBT center um very big very big program thousands of people go there for a variety of reasons you know there's services there there's you know, a little more, you know, entertainment, there's a little bit of everything there. And so for me, I was like, let me get involved with that. Because, you know, I'm a very big ally for that. You know, I have a lot of family that I identify with in that community. And I want to give back because they've been there for me. So I sign up and I sign up just for a general internship. But then they had asked me the the, the age old question, like, you know, like, what what are you interested in? What do you want to do when you grow up? And for me, I was just like, well, I want to make a difference, you know, and that that's so broad, you know, that encompasses a lot of things. And so I just said, you know, wherever you want to put me, just put me. So they had threw me into their public policy department. Mind you, I have no experience in policy. I have no idea what's going on. So the first meeting I go to, I'm lost. I'm like, well, what does any of this mean? All this jargon. But I had connected with somebody through their public policy department that had spoke to me, not literally, but like spoke to me in a sense that like, you know, like I felt their presence, you know, and their presence was very powerful to me because they just, they they were radiant and I really enjoyed that. So that's what got me feeling like that's going to be my mentor, if not for for the rest of my life, at least for the next couple of weeks, you know? And so I had, I connected with them. And I got really passionate because they were very driven to teach me. They were very, a very good coach. And so I found that I really enjoyed working with policy. And so instead of, you know, people just saying like, Oh, we need change. Or like, just, you know, yapping about like, this needs a difference. I could be a part of enacting it. And so I worked with the LGBT center for about six months. You know, that's kind of how long the internship was. And throughout my time there, we, you know, we drafted tons of legislation, you know, to pass on to the local governments, the state governments, and we lobbied at those places. And said, so we need these things done and we need it done for this reason. We're, we're fighting the good fight, as I like to say. And so it was a beautiful experience and it was my first experience getting into that. And, I was that yeah, that was my senior year of high school, so that was you know the kind of my send off after high school. and so I really enjoyed that.
0: You know what you're saying is a lot of times in different communities in particular marginalized communities, we hear that like there is a level of uh, feeling first of all, there's a lack of trust in some communities um, because you know these people have been these people have been hit again and again and again you know, as to, as to whether or not there is anything that can be done. And there's a level of apathy that comes with that, you know, because you get tired of, of looking for help or, or having someone promise you they'll help and then it falls through. Um, So talk to me specifically about policy because to be a singer in high school and, and really fascinated by that and really understand that there, there's actually things that can be done if you know how to do them. So, so what do you think was the, what did you learn? What's the biggest thing you learned when you were working in that internship?
1: I I would use the word that you used is like, you know, apathy into empathy, you know, how can, instead of being, you know, apathetic about everything and just letting things happen, how could I relate to something that I don't relate to necessarily as my struggle, but I could, you know, understand how it feels and, you know, take on, you know, that person's struggle and use that to empower them and say like, you know, what? you don't have to go through that. So for me being, especially that young age of being a senior surrounded by, you know, a lot of mid career, middle career people and you know, knowing that they have all this experience and me, I was just got thrown into here. And so for me, I navigated it through knowing what it would be like if somebody younger than me came to me saying, I need help. Because I was that kid at one point, not in the context of you know, LGBTQ+, but in the context of being, you know, one, one of the only, you know, multiracial people in a school that was, sol- like, you know, not solidified, but like, solidly one race. And so it's very difficult, you know, because it's like, I've had to navigate that my whole life. And so for me, that's what kind of pushed me and imagining someone at like my age like that saying, I need help. How could we, how could I get help? You know, and obviously, you know, I could help them, you know, at a, an emotional level or more, you know, like one-on-one level. But I don't want, you know, I don't want just them to, you know, be fixed. I want everybody to feel like they belong. And so that's what kept me going and knowing that there's people like that are asking me for help. I have people, you know, saying like, I want to see a world where I can go and express myself, but I feel instead I feel suppressed. And so that's what kept me going is knowing that even if it was. A, a month long of change that I had to push, or even if it was a project that I had to sacrifice my not well-being, but like my sleep for, I would do it because I know at the end of the day, these people could rest knowing that their voice is heard.
0: So talk to me about um, what, what are the prevalent issues that you see throughout the community that as the defensive democracy, DEI co-chair you're hoping to be working on?
1: Yeah, so so me, me me and my chair Ron we were talking about like you know what is our vision for the community and I think we both kind of agreed on you know getting the voice out first more than anything because we want people to feel empowered to share their voice. A lot of times, you know, we feel silenced by you know, but what if? But what if? You know, and it's those what ifs are different for everybody. They're not you know they're not necessarily they could be the same and there could be overlap. However, I feel like for most people, the what ifs are unique to them because of things that they've been through. You know, and so I think, you know, first letting them know that like, you know, those what ifs are okay to have those, but learn to let go of them little bit at a time. Because as you do that, you can empower yourself to know that you have a voice. And so what we're working on, and especially, you know, what I think you know was a great idea is getting guests to speak at our committee meetings and, you know, guests of a multitude of identities. You know, we have, you know, LGBT person coming in, we have an Indigenous elder coming in. I know, you know, Ron has somebody with a military background coming in. So knowing that the broad scope of people that we have can share their voice, we can empower others. So I guess, you know, our you know, my goal as a co-chair is to empower people to know that their voice should be heard and can be heard.
0: Yes. And, um, and one of the things that I'm really excited about is that both you and Ron are risk takers, right? You talk about the apathy that is so prevalent and, and, you know, so damaging to our democracy. Um, but I've got, you know, your help and as a volunteer who is not apathetic at all, in fact, working to inspire others. Um, and this is actually a good kind of segue into our, uh, volunteer, uh, highlight. We do this in every, um, every one of our, uh, defensive democracy podcasts. We highlight a special volunteer and I do want to highlight another risk taker today. Jenny and Sabrina chapter chairs in North Texas are a dynamic duo. Together, they research extremist organizations, school board protocols and policies, and collaborate with local and statewide like-minded groups impacting school board elections and thwarting extremist influence. They've created a blueprint for others to use in their community. Thank you, Jenny and Sabrina, for all that you've done in North Texas to defend democracy. So now back to the podcast. Dante, tell me um, what you are hoping the defensive democracy dei committee will accomplish in the month of february when which is when this um podcast is airing it's also black history month so we're giving a nod uh to black history um and the importance of it as american history uh the DEI committee um, is working to, I think, grow. You guys are going to also start to have some mm. recruitment videos come out, correct? Um, talk to me about your recruitment. I guess that's what I'm getting into. Talk to me about recruitment. What kind of people would you like to join the committee with you?
1: Right. So I think, you know, the, the recruitment process is, you know, as straightforward as it be is. you know, we need people that have drive. You know, if you see yourself moving forward, if you see a future, then that's what we're looking for. You know, we want people that are future focused, knowing that, you know, I mean, obviously you can focus on the past and like, you know, we need to overcome that. But it's rather like, how could we drive this car forward? I like to see the comedian as one giant, you know, stagecoach or like a van that's moving forward, uh, you know, across the world even, you know. And so when we when we think about it like that, it allows us to approach everything as, you know, how does this how does this decision impact our future as a committee and so everything everything moving forward is like every people we bring in we want people bring people in that are driven that are future focused and people that aren't you know aren't willing to get their hands dirty knowing that you know the things that they might get involved in might be something that they feel you know like they don't know enough about and that's the point you know we're all here at the committee to learn more about things I would be a hypocrite, you know, if I were to say, you know, as a coacher, I know everything there is to know about D. Yeah, that's just simply not true. And so I think, you know, I want to find a place where it's, you know, yes, a committee, but also kind of like a community. So people that are willing to come into a community in sense that, you know, everybody there is. Growing from each other, and so people that are willing to grow. So, to kind of summarize what I was saying is like, you know, people that are future focused, people that are driven, people that aren't, you know, aren't afraid to get their hands dirty, and people that want to come into a community. We grow off of each other because, you know, like, like, like I was saying kind of earlier, you know, like. We have different perspectives of different things because we all see things differently, but it's also, we're also seeing things differently because we're all in different parts of the country, world, or, you know, different parts of, you know, the communities, you know, for me, I know, you know, the approach for many of the organizations over here that are trying to get rid of programs like CRT are very aggressive, you know, and not, not just, you know, in their political tactics, but in their physical tactics, they will go into schools and rip people out of their classrooms. They will rip teachers out of classrooms.
0: Can you give me an example of that?
1: Yes. Yeah, so I, I, I didn't witness it personally. So it's, you know, this is on somebody else's account, but I know last year, early last year, there was controversy within the North Hollywood, uh, Glendale. And I'm not sure I you know if, you know, you're familiar with these areas because I know you're from New York, but yeah, they're they're like little they're like cities outside of L.A. within L.A. the L.A. county area. So the, those cities are you know the the, the red bubble and the blue sea. That's what they call it. You know, in order that's just how they say it. I I try not to use that because I like to you know try to be nonpartisan, but that's how they what that's what they call it. You know, and so those districts were facing backlash because they were talking about um, health or the, uh, in their health classes LGBT issues. And a lot of parents didn't like that. For usual, you know, you see a lot of you know, backlash from that. And it was so bad that there were parents out of school, outside of the school basically not only, you know, throwing up picket signs, but like ripping down stuff from the school, going into the school and trying to get the teacher that was teaching and threatening the teacher and basically going crazy. And some of them even went as far as, you know, trying to fight with security to get into the school. So it's just like. It shows how far people go to avoid these discussions.
0: You know, it's funny you're saying that, and there is, a, and I did a quick Google search while you were talking, and today there was an article public published, and uh, from uh, the local ABC news station, and it's just titled "Parents, elected officials rally to protect LGBTQ plus rights in Glendale schools." So you are absolutely talking about a current incident and something that is a current issue in California in your area where you're from. Um, pivoting a little bit, uh, I don't know if you were on every Tuesday night, we have a nationwide zoom call for all of our oriented volunteers. And, um, during the call, I actually touched on the topic of patriotism and, uh, how I believe defensive democracy volunteers should be actively proud of their country and and the flag. But I also talked on the importance of standing in solidarity with those who kneel during the pledge and and how important that is uh, as a constitutional right. Were you on that call? Because I, I was going to ask you a few questions, but I wasn't sure if you were on that.
1: I was. I remember that. I remember that was, you know, an interesting point. There was, I think was some discussion about that a little bit too. And how, you know, some people feel, feel differently about that. And so, yeah. So well, yeah, tell me,
0: like, I'm I'm genuinely interested and we could definitely do this on the podcast. How was that received? Like, I'm, I was very actually nervous about floating that because it is such, because there has been so much damage done to the word patriotism and America and American flag. You know, it's like. I, I was, I'm genuinely curious as to how that was received.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't, I don't I'm want to speak on anyone else's, you know, behalf, but for me, you know, I think, you know, patriotism and, you know, practicing your constitutional rights should not be mutually exclusive. You know, you could be proud of this country while recognizing its faults. And, you know, I think for me, you know, I'm that kind of person that, you know, like, I'm ashamed of the history of this country. And I think that there's a lot of bad roots for it. But I don't think that necessarily feeds into now we have to, you know, have everything be bad. I think we could have a good future. We just have to fight for it. And so the way I took it as, you know, is, you know, th- these are these are the underlying issues. We have to address the ugly. Unfortunately, you know, it's, it's the elephant in the room. You know, let's let's use that. It's the elephant in the room because no matter how much we try to ignore it, the injustice in this country is is there. And so I think patriotism and you know, you know, accountability. I'll say are, you know, like should definitely not be, you know, mutually exclusive, because that does more harm, if you try to separate them, it really just does more damage. And then it turns into this game of, you know, like pointing the finger every time something little happens, you know, you have the protesters are pointing saying like, Oh, look, you know, they're using the country, or they're using the, you know, the their pride of the country to justify all these bad things. Or then you'll see the people that are proud of the country saying like, Oh, look, they're kneeling, they're disrespecting that. And then it's just like, it creates more of polarization and division. You know, and so I think yeah. So I think, you know, it's, it's very, very possible to have both patriotism and accountability. And I think, you know, the presentation you know, when I was watching, I think it was interesting because that was the first time that I've ever heard anybody else say it when I was thinking about it, like those things could happen.
0: They're not mutually exclusive. You can be a patriotic American and also be participate in defensive democracy and 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 stand by the flag, but also stand by the person who expresses, uh, you know, who wants to kneel, and and this is all part of being a member of a free uh, country. Um, <clears throat> so that you know, I'm really glad you said that. I was actually really curious. I, I had an experience where I was at a protest, and we were having the same conversation with our volunteers and um it was a protest you know it was another one against moms for liberty who it tends to be the the main group uh uh, the biggest name in in all of these anti democratic organizations and, um, they actually were saying the pledge and, and I looked at my volunteer and like, should we go over and say the pledge with them? And she was like, hell yes. And so we went over there and, and we put our hands on our hearts and we said the pledge. And I think that people who people shouldn't be afraid to be patriotic and just say, because that is not patriotism. We're allowing them to co-opt it. It's just a big ask for an organization like Defense of democracy, um, you know, but I really think that if we start to recognize the importance of being openly patriotic, um, ha- the good things that that can do for our country. Anyway, um, tell me a little bit about, uh, you know, you've told me about your background in school. What are you hoping for yourself for the future? What do you see? What is Dante going to be doing, uh, it, you know over the next couple of years
1: man that's that's always that's always the question that you know expands the mind it's like what do I what do I want to do like I always imagine just like you know the possibilities but realistically you know in the next few years I'll probably still be in school you know I'm a like I'm a perpetual learner I love to learn I love to always know that there's more out there so you know probably still in school you know hopefully still fighting the good fight you know long-term career I'm hoping you know something within policy because I have found my love there that's definitely what I love doing but I think also, you know, doing it on a bigger scale, you know, instead of just not instead of, but like including the local level that I do, including the, you know, state to state level that I do, make it an, a national thing, make this across the country. So for me, you know, definitely getting into, you know, DC somewhere and fighting, fighting for the cause, you know, and making sure that it's done on a federal level, you know, and if it gets to that point, you know, definitely on a, you know, international level, because I think that everybody deserves, you know, a voice and you know, democracy is the voice of the people and it should be preserved. And so, yeah, I definitely see myself creating more impact. I don't you know know exactly what career that's, you know, I think that that's to come as I go and see what all there is in life, but I definitely know that I'm working with people and, you know, helping them empower themselves.
0: Dante, I want to thank you for joining the podcast. You know, you're a wonderful guest and I, we are so fortunate to have you co-chairing the DEI committee um, I think there are so many things that we can achieve um, when we work together. So I wanted to extend a huge thank you to you for joining the podcast. I look forward to working with you and I want to wish you the best uh, for the rest of your day in the upcoming week.
1: Absolutely. Thank you, Karen. You have a wonderful weekend and I look forward to seeing you And I see you.
0: Thanks for listening to the Defense of Democracy podcast. If you like what you've heard, you can find out more at defenseofdemocracy.org. Please consider becoming a support partner by texting the letters D O F D, that's Defense of Democracy, to 44321. Stay strong and remember, there is more good than bad out there and you're standing on the right side of history.